Welcome to this week's Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining us, as always, is Joe Healy. Joe, we have finished the Baseball America College preview issue. It has been sent to press. It will be in the hands of our subscribers uh, soon, hopefully later this week. It was your first time like being fully integrated into the production process of that. You participated last year, but, but this year being in the office for the first time, uh, how how is your experience getting that thing uh, off off to press? Yeah, it was definitely a different experience because last year, like you said, I, I was a part of it. I wrote the Shay Langelier's Baylor feature for the magazine, and of course, contributed top twenty-five capsules and conference previews and things like that. But but I wasn't here, like kind of ground zero for it. And so last year, I kind of just you, you assume when you're not on the ground floor with it that everything's just kind of hunky dory, and <laughs> I turn my stuff in on time, and therefore everybody else must be you know, like a well-oiled machine here. And, and that's true to a certain degree. We always get it done. But now I kind of saw that like, you know, oh, you know, we're really kind of pushing for some of this stuff. And, you know, it's some of the stuff is, you know, uh, beyond our control sometimes, like things happen. And so, uh, you know, we have to kind of hustle to get it all done. And that's just something I didn't have visibility to before. So it was, it was cool to see. And, it, you know, this is going to sound a little bit uh, you know, this could be a little bit of a, a Pollyanna statement, but it was, it really was cool to be a part of a team that was putting this together and, and kind of being a part of the, the, the early planning process, which really started for us before the holidays in a lot of ways, and then being a part of the production of it, and then, you know, going through writing a first draft and then revising it, and then, you know, trying to help cobble a little bit of it together. We're all kind of chipping in on different things and then helping people finish things off, and uh, that was really kind of a cool process to be a part of, and I'm, I'm excited to have it in my hands. And I know as, as readers, you guys listening, uh, I you know will be as well. I of course highly recommend it. If you're listening to this, you'd you'd probably really enjoy it. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see it for sure. Yeah, it is an experience to send it off. This was uh, my fourth, I think, uh, leading leading it, and uh, they. I'm not sure they really get any easier. Uh, it, it was easier than my first one, I guess, but. Um, it's a good time. It's a great product. I would encourage you, if you are not a subscriber, to go seek it out at, at your Barnes & Noble uh, or minimally to uh, check out the e-copy, which uh, is available on our app and online at baseballamerica.com. Uh, you, can, you can find that all there, and that will be appearing in your mailboxes uh, soon enough for subscribers. And the content from it, though, continues to roll out online, and we also have plenty more uh, just online-only content for a college preview. I, but I do think that the magazine is one of the cooler things we do here from a college perspective. It, you know, it's unique. The, there, there's really nothing else like it out there, uh, you know, in terms of a, a glossy magazine product for college baseball. That, that, that's the one. And so being able to, to produce that f for our readers every year is, is a really cool process. And uh, so again, make sure to check that out in, in whatever your, your favorite format is as, as it comes to fruition here, uh, or comes into your mailbox at, in, over the next week or so. I think it's a really cool thing if you're a college baseball fan that, uh, you know, one thing that, that we do a really good job of here, and I, I've now seen the work that goes into this, is they're just really cool covers. You know, I mean, right here, we, you know, we have the, right here behind us in our podcast studio, we have the Mike Martin cover, the Florida State cover from last year. And, you know, I can kind of rattle off some of my favorites from past years. There's one with Albert the Gator on it, which is kind of a cool one. You know, Cal State Fullerton throwback one uh, from several years ago as well. 
Um, so I can, I, because I'm a college baseball fan, those college preview covers stand out to me a little bit. And of course I'm biased to that issue now, but, um, I really do think we, we do a really good job of putting those covers together. So if you're just someone who, uh, likes to have, you know, uh, the, the art of that, I think the college preview issue is a, is a cool one to have, especially if you're a college baseball fan. Yeah. Very excited for everyone to see this year's cover. Uh, it is uh, black and gold. There, there's there's your only hint that I'm, I'm given for, for what's on the cover this year. It will be online uh, soon enough. Watch, look at your, your Baseball America channels or follow me on Twitter at Ted Cahill. Joe Healy is at Joe Healy BA. And Joe, you might retweet that, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're following either one of us, you'll get to see the cover uh, once it is ready to, to be released out into the world. It's black and gold, so it's an army cover. <laughs> army baseball. You heard it here first. Man, I uh, I wish. That would be so We cool. do love our. I mean, that's a joke. Like, it's not an army baseball cover. However, we do love, I mean... We, I'm going to do that some year. You know, we, we've We're had... We're going to make that happen. Jim Foster's been on the podcast. We had, you know... One of our most popular cost, podcasts. Right. We've had army and navy head coaches in this podcast. So nobody would accuse us of not covering the Service Academy baseball programs better than anyone else. We should have put Noah Sawn on the cover. That was, I mean, I love that Mike Martin cover, but, you know, we could have had Noah Sawn on the cover. And in, like, his formals? We could have put him on the cover, uh, yeah. like, in his formals? He but... was wearing those in Omaha when they, uh, for the Golden Spikes uh, announcement, and, like, everyone else is there in, you know, normal dress clothes that, that you would wear as a civilian. And I got to say, Noah Sawn in dress whites just, I mean, it pops. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we really missed an opportunity <laughs> now that I think about it. I mean, Mike Martin, yeah, okay, great and all. Good career. But, <laughs> but we need to know his song and his formals. Well, next time uh, one, of, one of the service academies has a you know, National Player of the Year candidate, we'll, we'll know what to do. Today on the podcast, we are here to talk about our preseason All-America teams. And if you are listening to this uh, you know, on, the, on the day it was, it was posted, Today is the day that the, uh, the All-American teams went online. Uh, obviously, if you're listening later in the week, you can still go and, and check those out. They'll, they'll still be on the website, uh, baseballamerica.com. So our, our preseason All-America teams at Baseball America, they are a little different than you see anywhere else. They are, they are unique because they are chosen by Major League Scouting Directors. We send all of the directors a ballot. They vote for the teams. We tabulate the votes. The teams that you see are the teams they voted on. We are so very grateful to the scouting directors every year that they take the time uh, to give us their votes. This year we had about a dozen teams participate. Uh, again, I am incredibly grateful to those those directors. It's something we've been doing for 40 years here at Baseball America, and it provides just an incredible snapshot of how major league teams, the, the people who are paid to evaluate these players, are evaluating them and expecting them to perform in the 2020 season. The, the way in which we choose the teams, though, does mean that Joe and I are not really process part of the process uh i i send out like we make the ballot i send it out i tabulate the votes that that's about it um you know that that's that's largely the extent to to which our our involvement is in, in the whole thing so that means uh your ire over uh what was what was decided there is is not i mean directed at us it's fine but like it's a little misplaced in that case um so it is important to understand how our teams are selected because, again, it is not a typical preseason All-American process. Yeah, I mean, 
you say uh, partly misplaced, uh, wholly misplaced <laughs> if your ire is directed at us. We just posted it online. Um, but yes, it's an important distinction to make um, because it also just, it colors, I mean, we'll get into this, I guess I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but it does color who is going to appear on our list. I mean, it, it, it skews a little bit away from, not wholly, but a little bit away from productive college players and more towards projectable guys and that makes sense because that's the way these scouting directors are going to evaluate these guys. Yeah, definitely. If you look historically the preseason All-America team uh it is biased is the wrong word is too strong of a word, but it is um you know things favor draft eligible players and it favors like Joe said projectable tools over good college performance. And at Baseball America, we really value those things as well. If we put together a, a preseason All-American team, it would probably also play a lot on projectable tools. So that, you know, that is what it is. The one thing to remember, though, is that they are the, the directors are most focused on the 2020 draft. So if you're 2021 eligible or 2022 eligible, they're not going to be thinking, you're not as front of mind. And so that does impact the, the way that they vote. And I don't give them any instructions on how to vote other than to vote based on talent and um, you know, what, what their expectations are. You know, they, it's not something where we're, we're guiding them one way or the other. They have full leeway to, to vote however they, they so choose. Uh, the, the instructions are, are really very minimal. So, um, you know, they, they are open for interpretation team to team. And again, we very much appreciate their cooperation in this process. It, it is, uh, it's really fun to tabulate the votes. It's really fun to, to see how, how these teams uh, come together uh, over the, the course of, of um, you know, the couple weeks when I see the ballots coming in. So with that, uh, that's kind of the, the you know, upfront dis disclosure, uh, something important to remember as we go over these teams. We're, we're now going to, to dig into to the teams a little bit more. Uh, I did just want to kind of run, it, run through the first team. You can look at the second and third team uh, online at, at your leisure. But first team, catcher Patrick Bailey from North Carolina State. Uh, first base, Spencer Torkelson, no surprise there. Nick Gonzalez at second base, also fully fully expected there. Austin Martin at third base. Uh, shortstop, Casey Martin in the outfield. You've got Daniel Cabrera, LSU, Heston Kerstad, Arkansas. Garrett Mitchell from UCLA. Uh, on the mound, on that first team, it's an all-SEC affair. JT Ginn, Mississippi State. Aza Lacey. Texas A&M, Emerson Hancock from Georgia, and Garrett Crochet from Tennessee. Your reliever, Burl Caraway from Dallas Baptist, and utility is Max Meyer from Minnesota. Uh, you can get full tools breakdown, explanation of these players a little bit more from our draft writer, Carlos Colazzo, at, you know, on the website or in the magazine. Uh, and, and so you can get to know those, those first team players uh, a, a little better there. Some trends that stood out to us from that, or at least stood out to me, and I'm going to make Joe comment on them. Um, <laughs> starting in the infield, 
I, I mentioned Torkelson, Nick Gonzalez. They were not surprises. Austin Martin, not really a surprise either. Those three guys were all elected unanimously to the first team. Casey Martin at shortstop was not unanimous, uh, but I don't think it was uh, a surprise, and he also was kind of the clear-cut uh, vote-getter. So the, the first team infield wa- was very strong uh, agreement from everyone that those were the guys, and it even extended past the first team. Uh, Aaron Sabato was unanimous second team at first base. Justin Foskey wasn't quite unanimous at second base, but it was close. Gage Workman, again, close, not quite unanimous at third base. It, it was there, though, and um, shortstop was a little more open once we got to the second team, but a lot of agreement here in the infield. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's take a minute just for a second to kind of appreciate the fact that we have a second baseman from New Mexico State as a unanimous first-team All-American. So it speaks to a couple things. Just one, I mean, his story is really incredible, and plug, he, the story on Nick Gonzalez will be in our college preview issue. And it's online now. Well, how about that? So, yeah, it's just amazing. That, I mean, we're, I think we're kind of desensitized to players in New Mexico State putting up numbers. And so it, I think it took me, admittedly, a long time to kind of come around to the fact that, oh, actually, this guy is like an elite prospect, and he's not just another New Mexico State slugger. So that was kind of interesting to me. But um, really, I think that where there might have been a little bit of ambiguity here has very little to do with the talent and more, you know, a player like Austin Martin where there was debate about where he was going to play. I mean... We could have put him on the ballot in a few different spots. I try to put guys where we think they're going to play, not where they project, not where they've played in the past. Now, obviously, last year Austin Martin was a third baseman, but we could have put him a couple different places because Vanderbilt could have put him a couple different places. Yeah, so ultimately we settled on third base because that's where he where he had played and where at least now he projects to play. Um, but again, it would not be a surprise to see him play at least three different positions this season. But what's interesting about that, though, is you know if he slides out from third base, to your point, Gage Workman probably slides in, and if not unanimous, something close to it. It, it would be interesting to see that, though, because you know maybe you know if, if the scouting director is looking at it and go, okay, Austin Martin's the first team third baseman done, and they look at the second team and like, well, we'll throw a vote to you know some of these other guys we had on here, Nico Cavadas or uh, Quentin Selma from Cal. Maybe if if you know we're talking about a first-team vote, like, ah, I'm not quite able to get there with a Quentin Selma or a Nico Cavadas from Notre Dame as a first-team All-American, so they, maybe they slide over to Workman because he's put up the numbers, he's got the talent, he's got the, the projectability. So um, that would have been interesting to see how that ended up playing out. But um, first-team in general, not a ton of surprises. Um, you mentioned that you know someone like Casey Martin was not unanimous, but you know got at least the plurality of votes. And that's the one where, like, if you really value it, I know you do, I know you love this guy, but if you really value the defense, maybe you could make a case Alika Williams as the first-team shortstop. Obviously, you know, Martin's got is a talented guy in his own right, um, you know, more of a productive hitter, uh, has put up numbers his entire career at Arkansas so far, so certainly a, um, you know, a, a solid choice there. But, but I think there was a little more of an argument to make for someone like Williams there. Yeah, I also think shortstop is one of the deeper positions in this draft from a college perspective, because when you look at Casey Martin, Alika Williams, Nick Lofton, and Jordan Westberg, all of them could go in the first round. And, you know, they, Freddie Zamora could, could easily work into that as well. And honestly, if Luke Waddell from Georgia Tech got in there, I, I wouldn't, be, wouldn't be particularly surprised, maybe a little surprised, but not, not, not stunned. He's but, definitely the type of guy that Waddell is not gonna jump out at you tools-wise. 
but he got it done at Georgia Tech, went on to Team USA over the summer, played third base for him, didn't look out of place. Like, he's one of the guys that seems like he's just the type of guy that plays up to his competition, which bodes well for success in pro ball, where you throw him into, into the minor leagues, and he's probably just going to play up to that competition as well. So with all of this depth there, that, that's why, like, that position really jumps out at you and, and why I, I don't envy the, the directors that had to make the choice uh, you know, which three to vote or, or which order to vote in. You know, Alika Williams is a very different player than Casey Martin or Jordan Westberg. Uh, Nick Lofton's very different from the, those other guys as well. And so how you arrange that was not an easy choice. I think that when you look at Casey Martin's tool set, though, and when you look at the production, particularly the power production, uh, but really all-around production, uh, that that really is impressive there, and it's not hard to see why he got, why he was the the more close to consensus choice there. And you know, you you made a good point with uh, with Nick Gonzalez. Uh, he's a guy that we just kind of assume at this point is of course he's amazing. Why? What do you mean he's not amazing? Like why would he not be? He was last year's batting champ. He was an All American last year. He was the Cape Cod MVP, but. For people that haven't had the chance to see him play or were kind of checked out over the summer and, and missed him tearing up Cape Cod just like he tore up, uh, you know, whack pitching last year, except this is Cape Cod pitching and not at altitude, actually in an environment that kind of suppresses offense, uh, they might still be catching up to the, to the fact that Nick Gonzalez is this incredible player, uh, a potential top 10, top 5 pick even, and... Yeah, I mean, this, this kid from New Mexico State who went there as a walk-on is now absolutely one of the best hitters in the country. Yeah, and like I said, it was it's, it's an incredible story just because of the... It'd be one thing if Nick Gonzalez was this game-changing recruit that at the time head coach Brian Green um, brings on, and this is the guy that's going to literally put us over the top. And it turns out he has been kind of the guy that's <laughs> yes. put them over the top. But that was not... He is absolutely intention. Brian Greene's Chris Bryant. Sure, yeah. But yeah. the difference is Chris Bryant was a guy he, right. when he went to San Diego. Right. Nick Gonzalez went to New Mexico State in, in part just because it was close. Right. And, you know, there, there's a whole lot of coaches that recruit, you know, the Southwest that are now, of course, kicking themselves. I mean, you could, you could do that with any number of players in a given year, so I, I try not to kind of play that game, you know, that, you know, so-and-so is, is tearing up this smaller school when he could have gone to name a big school. Um, I, so I try not to really play that game. But that being said, there, there are coaches out there that really wish they had, had seen what, what we see now. But, yeah, so really kind of a story that really is close to my heart just because I have an affinity for the, the mid-majors and the smaller schools. So just really cool to see. And, and you, you see that with some of the guys as we get a little bit further down in the teams. And we'll talk about these guys as we go. But but it's nice to see as we get a little bit further down off the first team into the second and third when, when we can kind of mix in guys from those types of programs. So the infield, very close to unanimous in, in a number of ways. The outfield, honestly, wasn't that far behind either. Uh, Heston Kerstad was a unanimous pick as a first-teamer from Arkansas. Uh, and Daniel Cabrera and Garrett Mitchell, the other two first-team outfielders, were not that far behind uh, in terms of, uh, of, of the vote totals themselves. Like shortstops, college outfielders at the top of the draft, you're going to see a lot of them. There's a lot of depth to that position. It's one of the strengths of the draft 
you're not going to know because Joe's going to cut out me stammering for a bit, but I was struggling for that phrase for a while. Uh, but at the, so we, we saw a lot of outfielders get votes here. And, you know, so those top three were kind of the clear cut top three, but as you go off of the first team, then we see Parker Chavers from Coastal Carolina, Oleric Solare from Tennessee kind of pop, Jesse Franklin, Zach Deloach, they've done a lot of things uh, at A&M and Michigan over their, the course of their careers. So it, it's an interesting group of outfielders here, Joe. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of different ways that you could go with your ballot and, and a lot of these directors did go a lot of different ways. Yeah, you can you can really see it as you get down ballot on the outfield. That's and that's that's really interesting to me and kind of makes me excited to see some of these players. I mean, some of the guys that that I mean, you just look at some of the guys that got left off altogether. You know, Jordan Wogu, Tanner Allen, Baron Ratcliffe. Um, those are guys that have a chance to make it look silly that they weren't included at the beginning of the year. But you see guys here that I like. I was talking about with Nick Gonzalez. I mean, I was excited to see Colton Kowser get on this list. You know, he's obviously he's got the pedigree. I mean, he he everybody kind of pointed to him last season. I think you know I had him in my my um my, as my preseason freshman of the year last year in the Southland preview, and I wasn't alone on that. It's not like I had some sort of like inside knowledge that I mean he was pretty consensus as like this is a dude and at Sam Houston in the Southland, he lived up to that. He spent the summer with Team USA, so he's he's a guy who's out there. It's not this is not some Cinderella story with him, but. You know, it is fairly rare to see someone who have the fresh, just a freshman year of, of of production at a school like Sam Houston State be someone who finds his way onto an All-American team as voted by scouting directors. Um, because sometimes you do have to kind of break through and prove it a little bit at places like that. So um, that was kind of cool to see. And, you know, there's all kinds of guys that... Another guy like that on this list that I look to is a guy like Joey Weimer at Cincinnati. Now that's an American Athletic Conference program, so that's not really... Uh, small mid-major, that's a good conference, but Cincinnati, you know, they had Ian Happ several years ago, but it's not necessarily the type of program you end up seeing on on lists like this. So outfield's kind of a position where if you're someone who, um, you know, wants to kind of dig a little bit deeper beyond the major programs and the elite prospects, outfield is kind of a position for you. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun to see what the postseason teams look like. I wouldn't be surprised if Cabrera, Kerstad, and Mitchell were the, the postseason first team, but like it also could look way different. Um, you know, like you mentioned, Nuogu, Radcliffe, uh, any number of these guys. I really love Parker Chambers. I think he could be in for a huge year there at Coastal. Um, could go a number of different ways. So it's going to be interesting to watch that play out, both from a college perspective, but also from a draft perspective. I don't think Cabrera, Kerstad, and Mitchell are really falling out of the first round, but any number of these other guys could play them in themselves into the first round. An outfield, unless you're a center fielder, typically it's a difficult position to get drafted as a first rounder from college, but the second round could be littered with college outfielders. Would not be surprised by that in the slightest. You know, someone like Reese Albert having a healthy year at Florida State could really take off. Um, you know, so that's something to watch as, uh, as the spring continues and, and draft lists continue to, to uh, evolve. Starting pitching this year, very heavy SEC influence. The four first-teamers, you might have noticed when I, I rattled them off earlier, all from the SEC. The, they did not include Kumar Rocker, who easily could have been on there. Uh, the wealth of starting pitching in that conference is impressive, and it is not just limited to a couple teams. Basically, everyone in the SEC has a legit Friday night dude. 
And if you don't have one this year, uh, you know, there, there is some, some reason to be concerned about it. Uh, the, the, the amount of pitching in that league is, uh, we're, we're still trying to do some of the research, but it, it feels like it might be historic. Uh, check back uh, in, in some amount of weeks. I don't know exactly when Carlos is going to be done with his research on that, but we are trying to figure out uh, exactly how often this has happened, if it's happened before, and, and obviously they, they now still do have to go out and do it, do it on, on the diamond, especially someone like Crochet, who hasn't really had a full healthy season yet as a starter. Uh, but is loaded with upside, has like a fastball into the upper 90s, and it's very easy to see why you would get very excited about him. At the same time, he still does have to you know, go out and prove it on some level to go in the top 10 like he could be in line to do now. And uh, Ditto Carmen Mulaginski, who started last year as South Carolina's ace, then he broke his foot, missed the rest of the spring, got back in time to pitch on the Cape, was outstanding there. That's why he's a first-teamer. But now he has to prove he can handle the load of Friday nights for South Carolina. Yeah, Rocker's a guy, just, just quickly on this, like Rocker's a guy where our process definitely ends up hurting him a little bit because he's not, you know, he's not draft eligible this year. Um, there are a lot of major league organizations that wish he were draft eligible <laughs> this year. I'll tell you that confidently. Um, so you can see if, if, if it was you and I doing this where, you know, he's a first teamer and maybe someone who has to prove it a little more like Garrett Crochet would maybe be knocked down to the second team. So that's where our process maybe kind of ends up influencing this a little bit. Um, I think it says something about you named two guys in Crochet and Majinski. I think it really says something about the level of talent at pitching-wise in the SEC, those are two guys that really do have to prove it. Majinski more so than Crochet. I mean, Crochet's been effective in different roles. He hasn't had a full season starting. Uh, you know, Majinski had an up-and-down freshman year, then last year really nothing. So um, now, obviously, the track record in the Cape is impressive for Majinski. That's kind of really what has, has pushed him up more recently. Um, but that's, that, that's a level of talent they're working with in the SEC, is that two guys like that who um, are still kind of, it feels like, still looking for consistency in the league, are still so highly thought of that they'd be first and second team. It is also notable here that uh, Hancock is joined on the preseason All-America team by Cole Wilcox. We do not, uh, it's not uncommon necessarily that uh, a, a team has two pitchers on the preseason All-America teams. Uh, it is not, however, common. You know, that, that it, it's, not, it's not unheard of, but it is kind of rare. And it does speak to what Georgia has uh, coming at you in that one-two punch. You know, there are a lot of teams that talk about their one-two punch. You know, Miami, Louisville, Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma, absolutely. There, there are plenty of these teams that have really good ones. Georgia, though, you can see probably has the best one, at least coming into the season, when you look at it from this perspective in Hancock and Wilcox. Yeah, um, yeah. Good luck against <laughs> those two on the weekend. I mean, you can say that about any number of teams, like you said. And um, but th that that Georgia one-two punch is really, uh, really, really something special. I know we've we you know we started talking about um, as a, as a Teddy and I in particular, but also you know some of our other uh, writers here kind of get involved in college coverage more from the draft perspective, like Carlos, for example. And we've started all kind of talking about where we're going to be in the springtime. And, and Georgia is a program that has come up a lot. Um, a lot of people want to see them. It helps that, you know, uh, in the state of Georgia, you've got Georgia Tech at the college level. You've also, 
you know, for, for, for Carlos, he's got high school kids he can see, you know, in that area too. So you can double up, that helps a little bit. But I mean, even just to go see those arms uh, for the Bulldogs makes it kind of worth your trip there. Absolutely. And for any fans that get a chance to, to watch them this, this season, it's going to be a fun one. And I also think that Friday nights in the SEC, they're going to be fast. Yeah. You're, going to see, you're going to see two, two and a half, hour, not two hour games, maybe two and a half hour games are, are not going to be uncommon there. And so that, that's something to watch out for on Thursday nights. Uh, w- once we get into the Thursday night sec- portion of SEC play and, and, and Friday nights, that you, you can expect some quick games there. There's, there are going to be a lot of low scores early in, in series in, in the SEC. Yeah, just with the doctor order for the baseball fan who's been uh, complaining about pace of play as of late. If you're, if you're an MLB fan that finds yourself frustrated, <laughs> Um, and you don't want to necessarily, you know, see college games where you're not seeing kind of something close to the talent you, you might see in pro ball one day. Like, go see SEC Friday night games because the talent is just off the charts good, and those games are going to move quick. And, the, and Friday nights in the SEC, I mean, those are fantastic atmospheres, especially when you get into April and May when, you know, some places are always warm in SEC country, but especially in places where it might have been a little chilly in March, you know, everybody starts getting outside in April and May, and you'll get some absolutely fantastic Friday Night Lights type atmospheres at SEC ballparks. Absolutely. Definitely tune in to SEC Network. You, you get to listen to Tom Hart, who is at least as good, if not better, than most big league play-by-play guys anyway. And uh, they, have, they have a fun cast of characters for, for him, to, him to play with there. Uh, so yeah, my endorsement. Thursday night, Friday night in the SEC, do it. Uh, Going to be some great baseball there this season. So Joe, we, we, uh, we've talked about some players that made the teams. Now let, let's touch on some of the snubs. And in some respects, these guys aren't snubs. Uh, we've been over the process. We understand how some of this, this happens. And the fact of the matter is, there are only so many guys we can put on these teams. You know, We only have three spots for each position. Um, we, we only have four starting pitching spots per team. That's just 12. We're talking about the 12 best pitchers, the nine best outfielders. There are not a ton of spots on this team. There are a lot of really good players in college baseball in a lot of ways that you could go with these. So, uh, again, not necessarily snubs, but guys that, that maybe stood out to you as, as um, surprises they didn't make it or, or, or notable in some way for, for not appearing here on, on one of these three teams. There are two in particular that stand out to me, and they're both um, just casualties of, of this process. And one is Alex Benellis, third baseman at Louisville. Um, you know, from a production standpoint, and this is not a shot at, at Nico Cavadas, who was our third team third baseman. He was actually quietly very productive for Notre Dame last year, but, but he's certainly someone that has those projectable tools, also is draft eligible. So um, now I suspect Vanellis, with Austin Martin out of the way, with Gage Workman out of the way, with Cavadas out of the way, and it, most likely, uh, that next year this will be a different story for Alex Vanellis. Uh, but with that being said, outstanding freshman year uh, for Louisville. Not much else can be said about what he provided for a Louisville offense that needed a bat like that in the middle of the lineup. So he's someone I was disappointed to not see get there. I think Vanellis also um, was hurt because he intended to play for Team USA this year. He was invited, but he had an injury at the end of last season, took the summer off. If he plays for Team USA, uh, and they had a third base was pretty open. Luke Waddell eventually played there, but that's not a position Luke Waddell had played for Georgia Tech. Uh, you know, he was kind of shoehorned into third base. If Benellis is healthy, can play for Team USA, this might be a different story. Yeah, great point. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I think next year this time we're going to be talking about Ben Ellis in a, in a different way in terms of this. The other one is Alec Burleson um, as a utility. Now, that being said, I was, I was happy to see Casey Schmidt from San Diego State get on there. Um, he's someone who really flew under the radar as a really productive two-way guy. So I was happy to see him, but at the same time, Alec Burleson's on the short list of my favorite players in college baseball. The tools aren't. The tools are actually better, maybe than I think a lot of people give him credit for. Um, with that being said, though, he's definitely production over projectable. Um, but he, if, if any tool, and this isn't really a tool, but if there's if there's any tool that he is elite in, it's competitiveness. He's just an incredible competitor. Um, he's done a million different things for for East Carolina. You know, he's he's done the DH thing, but he also plays a good first base. He started games. He's come out of the bullpen. I think going into this year, they're they're gonna you know start at least start him in a bullpen role. But you know he could do just about anything for them. And, and I'd be willing to bet if this is an East Carolina team that gets to regional weekend and they need somebody, you know, if they're not sure exactly who they want throwing the first game of that regional on a Friday, like they're gonna be comfortable with Burleson in that role. So um, again, understand why he wasn't necessarily on this team, but I think he's the type of guy that. Uh, you know, he, he's a guy I would have liked to have seen got get that type of accolade. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting one. Utility's tough because, so it's the two-way spot. But, so we have Max Meyer and Logan Allen as, as your top two, you know, your first and your second teamer. Max Meyer is going to hit, I would I, he hit last year about 150 at-bats. My guess is he's probably around that again this year. Uh, but it's quite clear that what he's best at is pitching that slider say. is incredible uh and logan allen it's kind of the similar that, that it's it's all about what he does on the mound that's why they're on this team they nominally well nominally is not fair to them they do a little more than nominally hit they hit but burleson is a little more like true two-way yeah like he's a legit slugger he's a legit pitcher neither of them necessarily stand out as like true pro pop like really in a big way tools uh, he's just really good at doing both things. So he's like what I think of as a two-way player. Um, you know, Casey Schmidt, very similar. Uh, you know, so those are those are guys I think of as true two-way players. Whereas some of the guys we have here are like big-time arms who also hit. Yeah, I think Burleson. In my mind, I see him as the true two-way guy for this reason. He's the type of guy who. It's, it's, you don't see this very often, a guy who is out there on the mound and his uniform is filthy because he, you know, slid into second base on a double and then had to dive back on a pickoff throw and he's just doing so much that it, it kind of reminds me of like when you're in high school and your, your best player is your, you know, the guy who hits third and pitches and then he goes and plays shortstop when he comes off the mound and so he ends up just, his uniform just filthy from diving and running and hitting and all that kind of stuff. Burleson's that kind of a throwback to, you know, if you're someone who played high school baseball, he's a throwback to that best guy on your team that did everything for you. Yes, absolutely. He is He is definitely that, and he he really looks the part. He's, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. It, you, you look at him and you're like, yeah, you're definitely a pirate. You, you, you have the hair, you have the look, and you're definitely just out there hustling, grinding, doing ev- anything you can to win a game. It's... Uh, you love to have that kind of player on the team you're rooting for. Absolutely. So I, um, I would highlight Trenton Denholm as a guy that uh, I, I really love to watch. I think he, uh, you know, what he's done over the, the first couple of years of his career at Irvine and on the Cape has been exceptional. Uh, you know, you just kind of get lost in the starting pitching mix again. There are only room for only room for 12 of them, and I'm not even sure who I would kick off 
for Trenton Denholm, but he's uh, he's a guy that that has always caught my eye for for what he's able to do on the mound and how important he is to the Anteaters. And then also, you know, Vanderbilt, you could have gone any number of ways in, in terms of voting for their pitchers. You maybe could have just voted for like four of them. You, you could have voted for Rocker, Lighter, Hickman, and, and Eater and, and felt comfortable doing that probably. So I don't know exactly how that's going to shake out in terms of the rotation. I don't think anyone does, including Tim Corbin and Scott Brown there. Um, but I do know at the end of the season that those guys are all going to be really good. And I'm, I'm very excited to see how that shakes out. So again, I don't know. I don't know how I would have managed to try and jam all those guys onto one ballot. I probably couldn't have done it either. But uh, you know, Hickman and Eater and, and even Lighter uh, as a freshman are definitely players to to look out for. And as we make the uh, the postseason All America team, and, and in Lighter's case, the uh, the freshman All America team, I expect that those guys, uh, you know, some grouping of that the that that four four headed monster. Uh, as potential starters at Vanderbilt is going to going to make themselves known over the course of this season. Yeah, I, one of the things I, I like to look at with this with this not so much snubs, but one of the things I like to use this ballot for, and we have the benefit of um, being able to see the ballot results as opposed to just the teams that end up making the cut. But I kind of like to look at this for a couple things. One is, you know, who are some players that are kind of in some, that are getting votes, but maybe weren't that close to making the cut that are in some unique places? Like when you look at the pitchers and you see um, Austin Vernon, uh, who near and dear to us here in Durham, pitches for NC Central and is, and is like a real dude. I'm excited to see him this year. Um, so that's an example. But there, I mean, relievers kind of ripe for this kind of thing too. You know, guys who play for big programs you might not know much about. Andrew Abbott at Virginia had a really nice summer. Virginia is kind of a resurgent program. Uh, Trey Dillard at Mizzou, and that kind of reminds me that Ian Bedell didn't get any votes at starting pitcher. <laughs> yeah. um, and that just tells you how stacked how the deep it is. is. Yeah. That guy is really good for Mizzou, and Mizzou's going to pitch really well. And we talked about Burl Caraway, but Chris Maloney at Jacksonville is a guy who's had a lot of success in his career. Uh, Landon Roop at UNC Wilmington got some votes here. Kyle Nicholas at Ball State got some votes here. Um, if you're really following this kind of stuff closely, you might know those guys, uh, but certainly they're they're a step, just a step below, um, just a step below some of like the SEC aces we were talking about or those those guys who were named as first teamers. So I think it's kind of fun to kind of dig a little deeper and pick through this thing and find some of those guys that are in a little non-traditional places. Yeah, absolutely, and. You know, I, one of those guys, we're talking about Army at the top of the show, Jacob Herdebees yep. got, got a vote uh, in, in the outfield. It, it, you know, the, there, are, there are plenty of these guys. That, it just goes to show you there's talent everywhere. People will find you. You know, Nick Gonzalez is a unanimous uh, first teamer after uh, being a walk-on to New Mexico State of all places. So they're, they're out there watching. And, and again, that is why we do it this way, because... These are the guys that are paid to go out and find the next big leaguers. It's their job. It's what they spend their whole time doing. So we want to get their opinions. We want to see what they're thinking. And it's why I love our preseason All-America team. All right, so that is the preseason Baseball America, or the Baseball America preseason All-America team. Lots of Americas in there. We, we do... We do make it very patriotic. patriotic. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> so you can check that out in full detail over at baseballamerica.com or in your college preview issue. 
and I would encourage you to do so. And again, thank you so much to all of the scouts and scouting directors that, that took the time uh, to send us their ballots. Uh, it's, it's not a short ballot. I really do appreciate all of them looking through it and figuring out how they're going to vote. It's not an easy process. We are, we are very grateful that they continue to do that. We, we love bringing you this kind of look in the preseason every year as we have for the last 40. With that, uh, Joe and I are, are going to move on to uh, the rest of our college preview content. We have a lot of work left to do. I'd encourage you to continue looking at BaseballAmerica.com throughout this week. We are starting conference previews. They will roll out over the next couple weeks. And uh, there, there's a lot that goes into those. So hopefully you, uh, you all dig into as many of them as you can handle and uh, you know, especially check out your, your favorite team's conference do a little uh, opposition scouting before the right. season. Oppo research. It is uh, election time coming up, so <laughs> familiar with the term Oppo research. But yeah, we, I, I, obviously I'm biased towards some of the smaller conferences, but they're a lot of fun for me to do. Um, even conferences that I'm maybe not as familiar with as others are kind of fun to do because I get to talk to some of the coaches in the league. I get to really dig into rosters that I haven't spent a lot of time with. So it's, it's really a good educational tool for us. And certainly, I hope if, if you're trying to get ready for the season, they end up being educational for you. Absolutely. So continue to, uh, to check back at the website. We'll, uh, we'll continue to, uh, to feed your, your college baseball uh, hunger over, over the next couple of weeks here before opening day. We will be back here on the podcast again next week. Again, we are back on a regular schedule as we dive into the season. Very excited for some of our podcast ideas in the upcoming season, uh, and, and hopefully you be you will be as well once we get into them uh, here over the next several weeks. So until then, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast, whether that be on uh, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. We're on them all. Uh, check it out on, on whatever app you, you prefer listening them to. And if you can, while you are there, rate and review us. Uh, we greatly appreciate that as well. It does help other people to find the podcast, and it lets us know uh, that you're listening and, and what, your, uh, what your thoughts are on, on the podcast. So if you can do that for us, we, we greatly appreciate that. And again, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA, and that'll keep you up to date on whatever the latest uh, pieces of content we have for you over on the website as all of the preview stuff continues to unfold. So again, thanks to all the scouting directors who gave us a vote for the preseason All-America team. We really appreciate their help in crafting uh, those teams. I want to thank you, Joe, for joining me here on the podcast again today. And thank you all for listening. We will be back here next week with more college baseball for you. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.